Good morning. Welcome. Greetings to you in the name of Christ. You know, it's a joy to be gathered together today and to know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is reigning, interceding for us, and has to do with His gathered church in a unique way. I think of Ephesians 4, where He gives gifts and works through His Spirit in His gathered assembly so that we grow up into the image of Christ together. I hope that's what the Lord will do from His place of His throne today in our assembly together. But this morning is annual meeting Sunday, and it's a joy for us to talk about ministry points, points where we need to grow together. And so this morning, the, the focal point of the message is praying together. I want to open our time in a word of prayer. We'll ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we ask that You would indeed work, work among us through Your Word, change our hearts, Exalt the Son. May this indeed be a time of growth for us. Spiritual growth. We ask that the, the, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, would have His way among us through His Word. That the Spirit would accompany our fellowship in the Word and do His will. We pray this for Your glory. For the reputation of Christ in our community, for our good, for our joy, forever. In the name of Jesus, Amen. When we gather together as a local church, what part of our gathering do you look forward to the most? What what part of our gathering together do you consider your own heart to be the most critical for your own spiritual growth and the spiritual growth of our fellowship? What part do you think is the most important for our gathering in our pursuit of the will of God for us? The will of Christ for our church and even the fulfillment of the Great Commission that Christ would work through us? I wonder, as we ask those questions, and obviously my title kind of betrays a little bit where I'm going with those questions, but I wonder if any of us can genuinely say from the, from the heart, praying together is what I look forward to the most. Praying together is what I think of as the most important and most critical aspect of, of my spiritual change, or at least one of the most important aspects of that. Does praying together as the body of Christ hold a very high priority and place in your heart? Please think about that honestly and seriously before the Lord this morning. 
do you consider praying together as important as God does for His church? Listen to a couple of texts of Scripture by way of our introduction. Isaiah 56, 6-8 says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast My covenant, these I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar, for My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to Him besides those already gathered. And Jesus, during His earthly ministry, quoted that prophet, that, those words of, of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Luke 19, 45-46, And He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, What? My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Isn't that fascinating that for any of the various titles that Christ and His Father through Isaiah the prophet could give to the gathered people of God, the, the, the title that was given in this text is, this is a house of prayer. The gathered people of God from every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation gather together to, to join in one Spirit and pray to the Heavenly Father. There are so many other things we can make of the house of prayer, right? Things misplaced, as did those in Jesus' day. And Jesus would come to them and us and say, this gathering is to be a house of prayer. God names the place of His gathered people as a house of prayer. That speaks volumes to us, doesn't it? Do you think of our gatherings and the place of our gatherings as a house of prayer? When a place or a gathering of people has an official title, what does that title reveal about the people of that gathering? What does it reveal about their priorities and their activities in the gathering? Of course, it reveals their purpose and their priority and their practices. So who are we? Who are we? Have we already learned? We have already learned from the pastoral epistles that we are the household of God. Remember, we've talked about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. We're the household of God. We're the church of the living God. We're the pillar and the buttress of the truth. But we are also called to be a house of prayer. So, an important question for us this morning is do you do the desires of our hearts align with who we are as? A gathered people of prayer. As a local body, do our priorities, our practices align with that title? And I would say that over the last several years, we have emphasized and taught and sought to practice many important doctrinal themes and 
biblical ministries, but I confess to you this morning, and maybe you can join me in this confession, that we have not given corporate prayer or praying together the place that it ought to hold among us. You know, I, I find in the Scriptures the leaders of the people of Israel often confessing to the Lord on behalf of the people their deficiencies and their sins, their neglects. And so I find myself doing that for us this morning. I confess that our failure to give prayer its rightful place begins with me. Let me give you an example of that. And I've just been thinking back over the years with this. When I taught through the doctrinal and practical distinctives of our local church ministry during the adult equipping class, we called that defined by Christ's design. How many of you remember that class? When we went, we, I don't know, it took a few years. We delighted in all the things that we taught. And, and there were 12 distinctives that we went through. Values, core values that our church holds to. But I confess that not one of them was prayer. Since that, that disturbed me. Especially recently, going through the, the discipleship curriculum, partners one-on-one, you, when you get to chapter 7, I think it is, he goes through the biblical values of a church. And we got all of them in our distinctives as well, except for what? Prayer. So this has been on my heart for quite a while. Think of another example of, of a way we can confess as a body our neglect of praying together. When we have invited our church family to join together for prayer meetings, special prayer efforts, seasons of prayer, a very small percentage of our membership attends those. I don't bring these things up in the introduction to guilt you. I'm joining with you in a confession to the Lord. This is another area where we must grow as the body of Christ. When we join together in prayer during our Sunday morning services, I'm concerned that we may view our corporate prayers as simply a segue to something more important. You ever think about prayer that way? Let's get through this prayer that's kind of burdensome to hear or participate in to get to something that we really want to do. A formality that comes before and after something more desirable, a duty that must be trudged through and endured. You know, we, we gather together on these Sundays and we have several strategic spots of prayer, lengthy prayer even, for our gathered body. Or Wednesdays where we gather together for prayer and different times throughout the week. And so I think with you, my, my dear church family, that we should think soberly together for a few moments about what is actually happening when we gather together and pray during our services. What is that? What is that? Sometimes, as we do our Sunday services, one person leads in prayer. While we listen quietly and unite our hearts in prayer, while that one person is praying. Sometimes, as we do during our Wednesday evening services, we gather into small groups. Or during the week, we may come together in smaller groups of believers to pray. We take turns praying while 
the others unite their hearts in prayer with the one who is praying. What's happening when we do that? You know, sometimes we, we're so used to doing certain things externally that we forget what we're doing when we do that. And then we think little of it. Dear ones, listen. We're, when we gather here together, we're under Christ being ushered into the throne room of grace by our mediator, Jesus Christ. He's the usher. We come before the throne of God on His authority. We come because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're welcome somehow because of Christ's matchless righteousness. We are enabled to speak boldly and we are heard because there are His credentials and merits upon which we pray. We're talking with the greatest and best of beings. The Creator. The King. The Judge. The Shepherd of the universe. It's amazing to be welcomed into His place of rule and to be heard. We're telling God what we think of Him. Think of that. When we gather together for prayer, we're, we're there to tell God what we think about Him. We're telling God how thankful we are for who He is and what He is doing for us. What He has done even though we deserve His wrath eternally. We're enjoying our fellowship and communion with God. How do you enjoy your fellowship and communion with God? That's what prayer is for too. To sit there with God. To think of Him as He is. To realize who we are and to be able to talk with Him and enjoy that communion with Him. We are attributing to God in prayer all the glory that He is due. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, O peoples of the earth, the glory due His name. We are coming together to tell Him as His family, Father, we love You. Thank You. We are acknowledging to Him our depravity. We are acknowledging to Him our dependence upon Him. We're pleading with God to purify us. If you are filled with holy ambition placed in your heart by the Holy Spirit, there are things that you are desperate for. And when we come together, that's what we ask. That we'd be purified. That He would provide for us all that He's promised. Prayer together is not intended to be something strange or awkward or burdensome either to listen to or participate in. Prayer together is to be one of the central activities and most precious and longed for privileges of our worship together. Prayer together is one of the purest expressions of our unified faith and our unified worship of God. 
in years gone by, during, especially I think of during the Puritan era, as very few does it happen anymore, there is something called a pastoral prayer, where the pastors of that church would get up before the gathered people and intercede for them. Bring their needs before the throne of grace and plead with God to do His work. And they were lengthy. I remember those prayers. Our family went to a church like that down in South Carolina during our college years where a pastor would pray and pray for his people. And you think during that time, let it be for me that he would be heard for Christ's sake. Praying together is a central means through which God has chosen to work powerfully in and through us as His chosen children to save sinners, to sanctify saints, and to glorify Himself. I think one of the reasons that we don't engage in praying together as we ought to is because we think of prayer wrongly. Maybe we could say it this way, we think of prayer backwards. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. When we pray, are we merely asking God to employ the power of heaven and eternity to work for our earthly well-being and comfort so that our desires are done? I want to I say that again. Listen to this very carefully. I want you to have this thought, please. When we pray, are we merely asking God to employ the power of heaven and eternity to work for our earthly well-being and comfort so that our desires are done. Is that what we're doing when we pray? If we are, that's backwards. That's upside down. When we pray, we ought to be asking God to work through the various circumstances of our lives and through the many events of this present time in order to bring about the eternal, heavenly good of His people and the fulfillment of His redemptive purposes and promises. He uses earthly things to bring about His heavenly will. That's right side up. That's how we ought to be praying. That His his glorious saving purposes would be complete. Can you see that difference? Let me say it a different way. We want to use prayer to see that our temporary earthly will is done in heaven when prayer is the means God has chosen to see His eternal heavenly will done on earth. We turn it upside down. And when we do, what happens? It's disastrous in our hearts. If in prayer, we are on our own mission, then we won't care much about praying with one another for the will and purposes of God to be done among us. And our prayers will run dry and be ineffective. But if in prayer, we are on the same mission as God is, we will long to pray with one another for the will and purposes of God to be done among us. And we will know what to pray for. And our prayers by His Spirit will be effective. There's so much more for us as the gathered people of God to experience of God's glorious saving power as we come together in prayer. There's so much more. And that's our need. This is an area where we, I believe, have failed and sinned against our precious Heavenly Father. And I'm at the head of that. 
So as a leader in our local body, I begin this message today with a confession of our neglect of praying together. And while I'm grateful for the forgiveness and righteousness that we have in Christ, I pray that God would cleanse us of that and grow us through his word to pray together as he would have us to. So here's the main idea that I want us to consider today, and we'll look at several texts together this morning. Let's pray together as the Word calls us to, and trust God to work powerfully in us and through us for His glory. I have four questions that I want to walk through to help us to have a biblical look at praying together. One, what is praying together? And you can see this as an outline in your notes. What is praying together? Two, when gathered together, what do God's people pray about? Three, what does God choose to do through the prayer of His gathered people? And four, why has God chosen to work through praying together? Number one, what is praying together? I'd like to begin by looking at a biblical definition of prayer together. And this definition that I've written out comes from some of the great examples of God's people praying together throughout the Scripture. And we're not going to look through all of them, but I want to pick at least a couple. From cover to cover, what you see in the Bible is God's chosen people gathering together to pray. One of the most well-known of the Old Testament prayers of God's gathered people is 1 Chronicles 29, 10-19, which is the prayer of King David, the man after God's own heart. Let me read it to you. Therefore David blessed the Lord. Stop for a moment. I want you, as, we, as I read this, here's, here's what I'm, I want us to do with this text. I want, us, I want us to see what elements he is praying. What, what does David pray about? And, and let those elements sort of begin to form a definition of praying together in your mind. Verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from You, and You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might, and in Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank You, our God, and praise Your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from You, and of Your own you we have given to You, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel our fathers. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of Your people, and direct their hearts toward You. For we are strangers before You, and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building You a house for Your holy name comes from Your hand and is all Your own. 
I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. This is Solomon's prayer after the temple was built. Let's read this one together. Second Chronicles 6, 12-42 And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set in it the court, and he stood up on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my laws, you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear... Forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and then turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to them and to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk, and grant rain upon your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, 
Your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there's pestilence or blight or mildew or locusts or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways for you. You only know the hearts of the children of mankind that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all to which the foreigner calls you to, to in order that all the people's of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way you shall send them and they pray to you according to the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near, yet if they turn with their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attend to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. And let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away from the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for your servant, for David, your servant. And what happened after that prayer? As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. There are many other prayers in the Scriptures, and yet all of them, in one way or another, 
take the shape of the prayer the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, you are holy. Your name is holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then they express their need. Give us this day our daily bread. Spiritual needs, physical needs. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. We have, we have a prayer concerning the relationship that we have with God. We have a prayer here concerning God's reputation. We have a prayer here asking that God's reign would expand and His, His kingdom would come. His return would happen. That His will be done. We have a request here from God's people asking that He would provide for us all that we need, that He would be our eternal resource, and that He would be a refuge for us in the final passage, but also then that we would be people of reconciliation, forgiving and being forgiven. So these elements all work together to bring us a definition of prayer. What is prayer? What is prayer to be when we gather together? Here's the simple definition. And then it gets more detailed. But I want us to think, there's, there's so much here to consider. What is a definition of praying together? It's when God's people gather together, united in spirit, to speak to their Heavenly Father through Christ about His glory, His greatness, and His goodness. And to speak to Him about their dependence, about their depravity and their desperation. And to ask that His promises, His covenants, right? His plans. Did you see that in those texts? Those prayers? His promises, His covenants, His plans, His purposes would be fulfilled in and through their lives for His glory. We could expand that definition when God's people in Christ gather together united in spirit to praise Him for His greatness, thinking of His majestic attributes, but also His mighty acts in the past, thanking Him for His goodness, meaning His mercy and His grace and His loyal love, ascribing to Him the glory that is due, acknowledging their utter dependence, their vile sin, and their great need. And they ask Him then to generously provide for their need, to keep His gracious promises, to fulfill His good purposes in them and through them for His glory. That's, that's praying together according to those texts. This is what we're called to. This is vital for the life of the body of Christ, for the glory of God among us. Praying together. Let's pray together like that. As the Word calls us to, as it provides example for us, and trust God to work powerfully in us and through us. I wonder this morning already, is the Holy Spirit at work in your heart? He's been working in my heart. I hope He's working in yours. Changing your perspectives on praying together. Changing, maybe elevating your desires for praying together. 
elevating our sense of the priority and the importance of it. By God's grace and power, may we begin to live that out more and more. Secondly, this morning, when gathered together, what did God's people pray about? For this, I'd like us to turn to the book of Acts. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 1? I'm going to focus this particular section simply on some of the prayers of the gathered people of God in the book of Acts. Let me ask you a personal question before we look at some of these prayers. Have you ever thought in your own heart or heard someone say, boy, I wish that God worked today the way he worked in the book of Acts. Have you ever thought that? I've thought that. I I don't know how many times I've thought that. I think most of us probably have thought that. But honestly, I think that that perspective isn't right. God can still work like he did in Acts. In fact, let me say it this way, he does. He does still work like that at various times and at various places in the world according to his redemptive purposes. I'm not saying that God will bring back the revelatory signs and the, and the wonder gifts and, and, and the, the, the healing gifts to people. Yes, God heals. Yes, God does miraculous things. Those were specifically for the founding era of the church, and the Scripture explains that to us carefully. He certainly can, He has, and He will continue, though, to save and to sanctify His chosen people as He did in the book of Acts. That's that's what we see that is continuous. We glory at those sections in the book of Acts where we see people saved and growing and sanctified. And so instead we should say something like this, I hope that God will work in our church the way He did in the book of Acts. Because really, is it a different church? It's not a different church. There's only one true church. Those in whom the Spirit of God dwells, right? I hope that God will work in our church the way He did in Acts. And then we can say, I long for God to draw all of us into prayer as a means through which He will powerfully work just as he did in the book of Acts because God has chosen prayer, the prayer of his gathered people as a means through which he does that powerful saving and sanctifying work. And we'll look at why that is later. It's not just random. That's our last point. We'll get there. And then in faith, what we should do then is gather together for prayer. So how did the the Acts church devote themselves to praying together and what did they pray about? Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, I'm going to kind of move quickly through these texts and and you can follow along and certainly turn with me. Acts 1.14, we find here the disciples remaining in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended. And he said, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And chapter 2, verse 1, we find that same group doing the same thing. 
And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. Remember what Jesus promised? He said, stay here in Jerusalem until what happens? Until the promise of the Father is given. What was the promise of the Father? The unique indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus explained that through through His upper room discourse. And so there they were, in the upper room, gathered in Jerusalem, praying for what? Probably for God to fulfill His promises. Right? Just like Jesus said He would. That's so precious. That's the first thing that God's people pray about. They pray, they gather together to pray for the fulfillment of the Father's promises through Christ. When you gather together to pray, is that on your heart to pray about? God, fulfill your promises. The redemptive promises of God for His his people in Christ are a delight to gather up and say, this is for me in Christ? You're going to do this, Father? Please do it soon. Do it now. That's what the church gathers to pray about. In chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, we see something else they prayed about. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Well, the text is self-explanatory. Judas had betrayed Christ. And after all that he had done, he went out and hung himself. And the Scriptures clearly teach that he was a son of perdition. Well, now there's 11 disciples. And they, they wanted a, a, you know, God had led them to desire another one to replace him. And when they were trying to figure out who God had chosen, what did they do? What does the church gather to pray about? Wisdom. To discern God's will in difficult decisions. That was a difficult decision. Who has God chosen to be the apostolic replacement of Judas? God, show us. A third thing. Look at Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42, well-known text. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I'm just going to call this, they prayed about the daily life in the body of Christ. They devoted themselves, coming together, this fellowship, taking in biblical doctrine, devoting themselves to the prayers, to sharing together at the Lord's table. Daily life in the body of Christ. A fourth item that they prayed about, look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 30. This is one of the most exciting prayers that I know of in the Scriptures. Let me read it to you. 23 to 30. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The apostles had been taken before the Jewish leaders and chastened for preaching Christ and beaten for it. And the church prayed. They came together. Notice, notice they did not ask for the persecution to be lifted. What did they ask for? Boldness to keep speaking the gospel. So that's what they asked for. Boldness to speak the word in the midst of persecution. Here's another text. Look at Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, verse 1, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, pick, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permenes, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. What do you see there? You see God's people gathered together praying about the affirmation of ministry leadership. Pre-deacons. They gather together to pray about that appointment. Look at also the same, the same idea in, in Acts chapter 14. We see this in verse 23. Acts 14.23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They appointed elders with prayer and fasting. Look again, Acts chapter 20 now. Same, same theme here. In this, in this chapter, Paul prays for the, the, the preservation, the holy preservation of leadership, that they wouldn't fall away into false teaching. Acts 20, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. 
So what does the church gather together to pray about? The affirmation and preservation of ministry leadership. Turn back now to Acts chapter 13. Here's another another point of prayer that gathered the church together. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church and at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What do we see there? We see the church gathered together to pray in the sending of gospel partners into the ministry. So the church gathers together to pray, to ask for the fulfillment of the Father's promises, wisdom to discern God's will in difficult decisions. They pray about the daily life of the body of Christ. They pray for boldness to speak the word in the midst of persecution. They pray for the affirmation and preservation of ministry leadership. They pray for the sending of gospel partners into the field. Look at chapter 12. Here's another theme of their prayer. Chapter 12 and verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Look at verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Peter was in prison. The leader of the apostles. The man who preached on the day of Pentecost. The church was concerned. So what did they do? They got together and prayed. Look also at chapter 16, verse 25. And I'll give you this particular point. Chapter 16, verse 25. A similar situation. Isn't isn't Peter in prison this time? It's Paul. And he was with Silas, having, let's see, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Think of those prayer points. That last one is, they they got together for strengthening and deliverance through affliction. Deliverance through affliction. These are the things that the church prayed about. I think, I think I collected all the prayers in Acts. Those are all the recorded moments of prayer in the book of Acts. It's very close, if not. Think about that prayer list that I gave to you. I wonder, are we this devoted to praying together? Are we this spiritually intense and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, this passionate as we pray together? Are we this on point as we pray together? Like these things, do we pray about these things? Are these what's on our hearts? Are we this committed to God's will being done as we pray together? 
I want that, don't you? I look at this and I want this. This is nothing we can conjure up. God, give it. Draw our hearts to to pray that your will may be done. Now, number three this morning, as we continue to look at this particular idea, praying together as the Word calls us to, and to trust God to work powerfully in us and through us for His glory, I want to answer this other question, number three, what does God choose to do through the prayers of His gathered people? I want to go back through those texts now because I intentionally left off what happened after those prayers. But I want you to see it. You've got to see this. This is for us to be looking at and saying, God's people were brought by His Spirit into prayer. They lifted this up to the Lord in prayer. And what did God choose to do through the means of their prayer gathered together? Well, go back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. We see them praying, and we know as we look at chapter 1, verse 14, they prayed. Chapter 2, verse 1, where's the answer? Where's the answer to their prayer? Chapter 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. God fulfilled his promise. I mean, it's not a mistake that they were gathered to pray. They were gathered again in verse 1. And then you see God fulfill His promise. That's not an accident in the Bible. right? The verse's orders are on purpose. Isn't God good to bring His people together? To show His great power in that way? People gather together. And God chooses in the time of all of this to fulfill His promises. Acts chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, they prayed to have wisdom for replacement for Judas. Verse 26, and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. God gave them wisdom. Answer to prayer. Look at the next one. Acts chapter 2, and verse 42, they're they're coming together on on a daily basis even, breaking bread and and fellowshipping in the apostles' teaching, and praying together. And what happened? What did God do through that? And awe, verse 43, came upon every soul. Man, you can't do that for yourself. Right? <laughs> Let's all be in awe right now. You know, God does this when His people, by His Spirit, are gathered together to ask for it. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every single one of those things that came out of the prayer and their time together from verses 43 through 47 has no human explanation to it. It's a divine work of the Spirit. That's, what, that's the title of this book, The Acts of the Holy Spirit, you could call this, through the apostles. That's the answer. They prayed in chapter 4. Turn over one more. They prayed for boldness. 
to preach through this persecution? And what was the answer? Chapter 4, verses 31 to 37. And when they had prayed, what happened? The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They got exactly what they asked for because it was according to God's will. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to Him was His own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any, to each as any had need. Answer to prayer. And when they prayed for the affirmation and preservation of ministry leadership, did God answer? Yes, think about in Acts chapter 6, who God gave to them to, to facilitate those ministries. Men like Stephen? Men like Philip? God, God worked through their prayer and brought godly men to facilitate the ministry of the church. And I even think, this is such an encouragement for me to think about, um, in, in Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul prayed that the Ephesian elders would be preserved in the truth and, and, and stand together, did God answer that prayer? Well, it's kind of interesting because that church went off the rails for a while, didn't they? And then what did God do? God worked through the Apostle Paul to send Timothy to help that church be restored. And then you visit that church again in the book of Revelation. And what do you see there? You see there God's commendation that they loved the truth and that they stood against the false teaching of that community. That was an answer to prayer. God did keep them in the truth. They had other issues in the book of Revelation. They were, they were cold in their love, but they were walking in truth. Right? We're, we always need growth. But you see God over decades even answering these prayers and preserving His people. Acts chapter 13, again, the prayer of the, the missionary sent out, Paul and Barnabas, and did God answer that prayer? Of course He did. Think through the book of Acts and consider the missionary journeys of Paul and the letters that came from those missionary journeys. That's an answer to prayer of God's people. And think of the prayers of how God worked even when His servants were being persecuted. Were they strengthened and delivered? Yes. Peter was delivered from prison in Acts chapter 12. And it's a really funny story, right? He comes and he, he knocks on the door of the place where they were praying and the, the girl goes in and says, hey, you guys are praying. Peter's here. God answered your prayer. Shh, let's keep praying. Right? They, they didn't even know. They didn't believe her word immediately until Peter walks in. God answered prayer. Or chapter 16 of Acts. What a glorious outcome there. When Paul and Silas were there in prison and they gathered together and prayed and sang, there was an earthquake. 
and the prison was shaken, and the doors were opened, and the jailer and his family were saved. That glorious answer to prayer. What are we waiting for? Would you see this? Right from cover to cover in the Scriptures. God's Word shouts to us that our sovereign God has graciously chosen and delighted to work powerfully among His people whom He draws together to Himself in prayer. Isn't that something to consider through the book of Acts? What are we waiting for? By God's grace and the power of the indwelling spill, let's pray together as the Word calls us to and, and gives us an example of and trust God to work powerfully in us and through us for His glory. Finally, and thank you for your kind and diligent attention today to these many details. Number four, why has God chosen to work through praying together? It's, it's too easy to make prayer sound like a human work, right? Something we, we do and, and, and manipulate God by, but that's not at all what prayer is. We've already talked about that. God has chosen prayer. God chooses prayer. Is gathered people in prayer as the first part of the means by which He works out His redemptive plans in their lives and through their lives. Why is that? Why prayer? You ever think about that? Why not something else? I don't know what else it would be. But do you know why prayer? Here's what I think. Because God always chooses to work powerfully through means that cause us to decrease and Him to increase. I think that's why. God always chooses those kinds of means. Through means that cause us to decrease and Him to increase. Otherwise, in prayer, guess who gets, guess who gets minimized? We're supposed to. Us. Guess who is put on display? God. You see, how is that? Well, first of all, prayer emphasizes our dependence on God. That's what prayer does. Biblical prayer emphasizes our dependence on God. When do we look in Scripture and we read that prayer exalted the strength of man? Never. It's like a spotlight on our need. In fact, our experience bears that out. For all of us who struggle with prayer, when do we pray? when we have nothing and we know it, right? If we were always aware that we have nothing, then how often would we come to the Lord in prayer? Prayer emphasizes our dependence, our need. Second, here's why prayer is that means, because prayer expresses our faith. It's, it's the most, how should we say it? It's the most simple and pure, immediate expression of faith that's in the heart. It just comes right out the mouth. I, you know, we often say that verse, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks in, in reference to sin, right? Sin in our hearts that comes out of our mouths and in corrupt speech. But this is true of, of the fruit of the Spirit as well. If God has worked faith in our heart, the quickest way we'll know is it's going to come out of our mouth. And so prayer emphasizes that trust in God. That's why prayer is the means. Prayer emphasizes our dependence. Prayer emphasizes, expresses our faith, but also prayer exposes God's working. When God's people come together to pray and they come to Him, emphasizing their dependence, expressing their faith, praying that He does His work, it puts everything 
up before your eyes. Your senses are made aware of God's working then because you got together and you asked. You asked Him to work. And all of a sudden then we're awakened to recognizing God's work when it happens. If we hadn't gotten together and prayed about it, then who would be thinking about it? Not much. Not many of us, right? But when we come together and we're speaking to God in prayer and we're listening to one another and joining with one another in prayer, we're expecting God to work. And then when we're watching for God to work and then when He does, we realize it. So then, prayer experiences God's glory. We see His work and we experience His grace and we rejoice in it. That's why prayer because just like, just like John the Baptist, he must increase, we must decrease. Prayer does that. I am confident that prayer is the means that God, has used, God uses to bring about his will because we decrease and he increases. It brings him great glory. And I'll close with these texts. Revelation 5 and Revelation 8 are two texts in the book of Revelation that give us a view of God's eternal purposes being worked out in eternity. His redemptive plans for the ages are being unfolded. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing view. It's this text where, where, where there's a desire for the scroll of God's redemptive will to be unfolded and executed in the world. That people would be saved and, and His name would be glorified. And John, remember, he weeps because no one's worthy to do that. No, there is no one who is worthy to be the executor of God's will and to bring about everything that his saving purposes have, have promised. Except for who? One. There is one who's worthy. The Lamb of God who took the scroll and opened the seals and died on the cross and was buried and rose to bring about God's redemptive plan for the ages. Now, there's a lot going on in, the, in those chapters. And it's an amazing view of God's sovereign work to save and bring Himself glory through the Lamb. And we have one mention in that grand and eternal perspective. What's our one mention? Prayer. Look at it. Revelation 5.8. And when He had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. That's it. That's all we get. Of all the things that we do, that's all we get. Why? Because it brings glory to God. It's Him. It's His glory put on display. It's His work. We simply trust and plead and beg for Him to do it. How long, O oh Lord? Right? That's a, a prayer in Revelation. And God answered with the person of Christ. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose up before God from the hand of the angel then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and, splash and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. If this is the means God uses to bring about His redemptive plans for the ages, for His eternal glory, then we must give ourselves to prayer. 
and pray together. We begin by asking Him to draw our hearts to pray as He would have us to pray by His grace. In closing this morning, let us by the power of the indwelling Spirit seek to make prayer together our greatest desire and priority for our church family over this next ministry year. I invite you to join me in that. There are many other things that we're laboring toward this year. Good things. Things Christ calls us to. Like the affirmation of, of, of more elders and, and discipleship. We're going through those discipleship uh, materials so that we can be equipped to, to bring others into, into the faith. There are many moving, developing aspects to our body life that we're praying about and talking about, but none are more important than bringing them all to the Lord in prayer. Because it's He who does this, not us. If we are a prayerless church, then we are showing ourselves to be a proud people trying to do a divine work by human means for our own glory, and all of our efforts will be fruitless. But if we long for God to do a great work of salvation and sanctification in us and through us, and we are humbly convinced that a divine work can only be done by Him and must be done for His glory alone, then we will be a praying church. And by God's grace, the ministry that He has entrusted to us will be fruitful. So here's some considerations to think about by way of application. You know, we always begin by a confession and a grieving over our sinful responses to prayer together. I think we all have part in that. Considering whether it's Sunday morning, gathering together and joining our hearts with the one who is praying or in a group throughout the rest of the week, joining together to pray, do we consider, we've considered some of those things unimportant. We can confess that to the Lord. Not a priority. We've neglected it. Maybe we've feared it. Maybe it becomes a drudgery to us, a, a lack of desire. Remembering what, remember what praying together is. But then also we can receive and rest in God's cleansing, enabling grace. That's what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And then humble ourselves to be taught by God about praying together. Make your heart open to that from now on. Father, teach me more about what it means to pray together and how to do that in a way that honors you. And then to be asking God to give us His perspective. Give me your perspective, God, on this. And fill my heart with your Spirit so that I can long for that. And and begin to ask God to show us His mighty work through our prayers together. We would see it. See His working and bring Him glory. If you would also, um, this is a very practical element, I've put in your bulletin, again, that prayer survey that I, I passed out a few, we passed out a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now. I would ask that you would fill that out. Help me to know when you all can join together in prayer. And we're going to begin simply by coming together for prayer as the Lord would enable us to, and ask Him to do these things. Because when we consider His glory in our community, what can we do to bring that about? God must do it all through us. So help me to know. Help me to know how to bring us together for prayer by filling that out. And you can certainly um, 
give it to me today or, or drop it in a box there in the foyer. Before we pray, in closing, I have a question that I would like to ask you if you're listening or here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. You don't know that you are right with God. Here's the question. Did you know that God does not respond to everyone's prayers? That's a sobering question and a thought. God does not respond to everyone's prayers. Listen to what the Bible says. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Who does God not listen to? Those who love their sin. It's not that He can't hear you. He won't. Proverbs 28.9 If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. What does that mean? If you don't care to hear God's Word, God says your prayers are repulsive to Him. That's harsh, isn't it? No, it's not. That's who we are in our sin. Isaiah 59.2 Your iniquities, God says, have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. What separates us from God and, and prevents Him from hearing? Our sin. Proverbs 15.29 The Lord is far from the wicked, but the prayer of the righteous. But He hears the prayer of the righteous. That's humbling, isn't it? So then, when would God begin to listen to the prayers of sinners like us? Because I think we would all fall into those categories, right? We have all loved sin. We have, it, we have over our lives, not cared to hear God's Word. We've harbored sin in our hearts. We can be described as wicked. So then, when would God begin to listen to the prayers of sinners like us? Any of us. Listen, God will begin to listen to the prayers of the sinner who repents of his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ, his Son. God will only receive the prayers of a sinner on the basis of his own Son's perfection. His Son's authority. His Son's mediatorship. There's only one mediator between God and man. Who is it? The man Christ Jesus. Only through Christ can a sinner's prayers be heard. So what's our response to that? Mourn over that which separates you from God and prevents your prayers from being received by God. You were made for fellowship with God to speak with Him and walk with Him. And what broke that fellowship? What closes us off to prayer with God? Sin. Mourn that. Grieve over the sin of Loving your sin. Grieve over your heart that doesn't care about the Word of God. Grieve your position before God as one who is separated from Him and an object of His just wrath for our sin. And turn. Turn from that then. By God's grace, turn from going and doing life your own way in continuing sin and self-righteousness and trust. 
trust in the saving work of Christ. See, his life, his righteous life covers your sin. If you will receive him, turn from sin and trust in him. His death atones for your sin, meaning it takes the punishment your sin earned. And his resurrection will give you life eternal and raise you to be seated with Christ in heavenly places so that you have perfect fellowship with God through Christ. I invite you, if that's you this morning and you have not yet come to Christ, cry out to God for his mercy and grace in Christ and he will receive you. He will forgive you. That's the prayer he will hear. He will forgive you. He will grant you eternal life. And he will welcome you as his own child to come before his throne of grace in prayer with boldness. And it's all because of Christ. Let's stand and and talk to our Heavenly Father together. Heavenly Father, I join with my brothers and sisters in Christ and we speak to you as our Father through your Son. We thank you that you are a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. We thank you that you hear us in Christ. That you are a God who is great. Great with love and grace for your people in Christ. And we do confess to you our neglect of prayer and our upside down thoughts about prayer. And we ask you to Fulfill your promises to us to conform us into the image of Christ that in this way we would think differently. We would think like Jesus thinks thinks about prayer. And how he lived his life on earth in prayer. Bring us together, Father, for this. We cannot do it. We ask you to do it in us. To stir us up. To help to to cause us to, to desire what we do not yet desire. That according to your will, it would be borne out. And Father, we, we are asking you to then do a great work only through our prayer. Because we don't want to receive the glory for things that we do in our own strength. It won't be effectual. Father, hold back spiritual progress from us unless it is done in prayer and in faith toward you. Let that be the means that you begin to save increasingly and sanctify us increasingly. And Father, we don't don't want to miss out on seeing many saved and believers sanctified. So please hear us and forgive us and change us and bring us into prayer together that that your appointed means would be active in us by the Holy Spirit, our comforter within, our, our strength within, so that we live this out, not artificially, but genuinely. And we get to behold your power and might to save 
and sanctify like we have never seen before. Father, we ask it for your glory in the name of Jesus.